So today's reading comes from the ninth chapter of Luke, beginning with the 57th verse, and I'm using the message. On the road, someone asked if he could go along. I'll go with you wherever you go, he said. And Jesus was curt. Are you ready to rough it? We're not staying in the best of inns, you know. And Jesus said to another, follow me. And that person said, certainly, but first excuse me for a couple of days, please. I have to make arrangements for my father's funeral. And Jesus refused. First things first, your business is life, not death. And life is urgent. Announce God's kingdom. Ow. Then another said, I'm ready to follow you, master. But first excuse me while I get things straightened out at home. And Jesus said, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. Ow, 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 ow. You know, I, I was telling Alice before the uh, beginning of the service that, you know, these, I, for our church, for Jail Spirit Christian Church, I don't think this is a particularly hard saying. This is something that we, we talk about all the time. We talk about that priority is that your relationship with God has got to come first. Amen? Amen? Do I get an amen to that? Amen. It does come first. And you're responsible. And it is your responsibility. Amen. However, what do you think really makes, and don't, since I already told you, Ask, don't, don't chime in here. What do you think really makes this particular passage a really hard saying of Jesus? Because I can tell you when it gets preached in the evangelical churches, in the more traditional churches, this is about getting money, folks. Amen? This is about getting money. Get serious about digging into your wallet. Get serious about doing volunteer work in the church. Get serious about this, that, and the other thing. I'm telling you, this is a marketing reading. Yeah, I said that out loud. But what really makes this a hard saying? <laughs> what makes this really hard, folks... What makes this passage really hard is that it is not a group exercise. You'll notice, first of all, the story is put up. It's about individuals. In fact, that is why I picked what I picked for Jesus Christ Superstar. How did that song start? How did it start? The Jesus Christ Superstar, the song we just heard. It's basically saying that Jesus is the what? The top showman. And by the way, we believe in you and God, so tell us that we're saved. We seem to think, folks, that all we have to do is say the magic word, do the magic ritual, and everything is going to be cool between us and God in the hereafter, whatever that might be. But what this does, why this is so hard, is because it requires us to really stand in front of the mirror and get honest. I think the vicar kind of said it. If we're really honest, 
How often does everyday life get in the way of your relationship with God? How often does the traditional church get in your way with your relationship with God? How often does somebody else's agenda get in your way with your relationship with God? You know that I've been uh, uh, doing this study out of a book called The Other Jesus, The Hard Sayings of of uh, Jesus by John Ogilvie. <clears throat> and I thought this week that um, while on the one hand, I think that this passage is all about commitment, that he did bring up some good points. For example, there's a three-letter word, and I'm quoting him now, a conjunction of condition that we use repeatedly to resist a two-word hard saying of Jesus when Jesus says, follow me. Anybody want to take a guess what that word is? Go. Huh? Go? No. No. But. We want to become his followers, but. Eventually, though, we butt up against our butts. That's his words, not mine. We all have personal reasons for saying but. The other Jesus is constantly seeking to preempt our particular set of priorities with his call to follow him. Our butts keep us from following him, and actually we try to preempt Jesus' priorities. Wow. Does that sting a little bit? You know, y'all is kind of sitting there going, hey, I do the best I can, man. But I got a family to feed. What was the first statement when Jesus said, are you ready to rough it? We are not staying in the best of inns, you know. How many of you have a history of going down to Pastor Judy's farm? You remember when we first went down there? There was no indoor toilet. There was no electricity. There was no heat. There was no air conditioning. If you decided that you wanted to go to that farm for a retreat, it took a little more than an emotional response. Hell yes, let's go. It took some thinking. It took some balancing. Understand that in our relationship with God, if, if and when you're ready to have a relationship with God because you believe in all the powder puff stuff about not going to hell, yeah, I, I said that. That's powder puff theology. That's power and control theology. <clears throat> when the church puts it out there to keep you so afraid that you'll do anything to avoid going to hell. But you know what? When you take that away, when you begin to realize that God is not intending on sending anybody to hell, what God is intent on is you having a real relationship. And now you've got to ask yourself, what does that mean? You know, I go to bed at night, and I am so thankful that I have a roof over my head. I am so thankful that I got a pillow that I can lay my head on. 
And as I was preparing for this sermon, you know, I had one of these weird dreams. Will you do the work if you didn't have the pillow? Folks, look at what you've got. Add up your material possessions and ask yourself this morning, do you still do the work that God is asking of you if it isn't as easy as convenient as it is now. Number two, let's rejoin Jesus on the road. This is Mr. O uh, Reverend Ogilvy talking again. He turns to another man who gives the clarion call, follow me. We wonder at the man's glib response. Let me go bury my father. Now, you know, in the modern age, as we listen to this, don't we think, actually, that that's a, okay, that's, that's a, how can, that's a request. I mean, it's family, right? We also know from doing a little bit of study that when people gave that to you as an excuse in Jesus' time, it wasn't necessarily to literally bury the father or the mother, whatever the case might be. It was because they were elderly and you had to go back and take care of them. And we sit there and think about what? How could Jesus say no to that? Because isn't, didn't Jesus tell us to honor the commandments? And isn't one of the commandments, honor your mother and father? Who here, who has parents alive and are not still deeply connected to those parents, would do anything at the drop of a hat, at the thought that we need to be there for our parents? And for those that have lost their parents, do they not still even after a certain period of time has gone by, grieve those parents? So what on earth did Jesus possibly mean when he looked at this dude and said, hey, let the dead bury the dead. You are not about death. You are about life. Well, I guess that makes it Kind of a hard saying, doesn't it? So let's let this sit there for a minute. Does Jesus expect us in our relationship with God to forget our family? That's not about forgetting, folks. Remember, this is called preempting the priorities. How about if we stop with the excuses? You know, you have heard me say time and again that we hide behind our excuses, amen? We hide behind our busyness. I have said to people, I understand you got to work. But there's always time to do the right thing, amen? I understand that you got to make money, but there's always time to meet the need. And that's basically what Jesus was saying. If your concentration is going to be solely on taking care of the family, what else are you doing outside of that? If your relationship with God is not first, I absolutely guarantee you, my friends, that your relationship with your family will suffer. 
You understand where I'm going with that? Because if your relationship with God is not good and you're not feeling good about yourself, how on earth are you going to feel good about anything that goes on in your family? Amen? Oh, yeah. And then there's this thing about we know it's an excuse when we feign concern for our family, right? We're close to our families, right? But we don't tell them everything. <laughs> we don't tell them we're gay. We don't tell them our money problems. We don't tell them our boyfriend problems, girlfriend problems. Why? Because we sit there and say, hey, you know what? It's none of their business. So Jesus knows the truth. That yes, we have a responsibility towards our families, but it should never preempt our relationship with God. One final thought, and this is one for me, personally. I didn't understand the level of families getting in the way of my relationship and my ability to do ministry until I realized how angry I was at my father. And people used to say to me, if you don't forgive them, you're always going to have trouble. Your ministry will suffer. You will be as angry as he is. It was not until the day that I let go of that, until my priorities became my relationship with God and not my father. Anybody in your family that's getting in your way? That's what makes this a hard saying. You know, I, I like to, I like that uh, the vicar has always been very, very independent. And I've had the ability, you know, the honor of being able to be friends with her on Facebook. So I see some of the stuff that goes back, between, back and forth between her and her family. Her priorities have never been screwed up. She's never let her family one time at least in the recent past. Now, maybe I can't speak for before I knew you. But at least now, the family cannot get in the way of her faith. Does the family get in the way of your faith? That's all Jesus is talking about here. And, of course, it goes along with uh, getting kind of stagnant with our families. You know the seven steps to stagnation, right, that Erwin uh, uh, Sukup game. We've never done it that way before. We're not ready for that. Do you all hear this coming from your family? We're not ready for that. We're doing all right without you trying that. We tried it once before. We don't have the money for that. It's not our job. Something like that can't work. It's not about rejecting your family, folks. It's about having your priorities in order. Last point comes from Reverend Ogilvy. Quote, In our mind's eye, we could see what would happen if a person looked back while plowing a furrow. This is the guy who says that he's got to go home, right? And by the way, think about this. This is, a, this is really a hard thing because we have to think about, like, especially at a church our size, how many people, Dana, do you think that over a course of a month, you and I here, 
well, let me get this taken care of and then I can help the church. Let me take care of this and then I don't even want to tell you folks how many times the pastor or this church has sat with people through and helped with their social security, helped with this, that, the other thing. And when those payments came in, that person was gone. Did I just say that out loud? Not that I expected to get any money, but again, if the shoe fits, how many excuses does it take? You know, I sit in the city of Atlanta and listen to these meetings about the homeless, and there's all kinds of conditions set on it before we can take care of the issue. And we have a tendency to look back. How many of you have gotten screwed by giving somebody help? Amen? How many? Let's see a show of hands. One, two, three, four, five. Oh my, Every, almost everybody here has been screwed. This saying for you then just became a hard saying, didn't it? Because Jesus said, if you're looking forward to your relationship with God and doing the work of God, you can't turn around and look at the history that's behind you. Number one, you're liable to run into a car if you look somewhere else. Yeah, but we're still here raise, to raise our hands. Amen. That's because you're honest. See, that's really what makes these sayings really hard. is because for those people that don't think this is hard, they don't evaluate themselves, folks. They don't stand in front of the mirror. You know, i got a person right now that I'm doing some counseling with, and, and they're depressed. And I cannot, and the exercise that I gave them was that they need to go home and upon getting out of the shower, stand in front of their mirror and start talking to that mirror about what they see and what they like. Do you know that they came in to an appointment and looked at me and said, when I said, did you do your homework? They said, I can't even look at myself in the mirror. And then the hammer came. I look in the mirror when I'm clothed. But I can't do it the way you're saying, Pastor. Because I'm pretty sure I'm not going to like what I see. What a statement, folks. You put on clothes, you're doing what? You're defining yourself to the world that you're about to walk out in. And you get to be the messenger. When I put on this shirt and put the collar on it, I'm saying to everybody that can see me, I'm a pastor. Vicar, when she put her t-shirt on this morning, she made a conscious choice to say, I am a part of Gentle Spirit Christian Church. My husband, when he was forced to put on that hat this morning, made a statement that it's a bad hair day. But look in the mirror. Whoa. I can't redefine anything when I look in the mirror. I have to take it as it is. This is Jesus' point.
you can't look back. Final illustration. Guy was about to die, and so he tells his boys that his farm and his fields are yours in equal share. I'm going to leave you a little ready money, but the bulk of my wealth is hidden somewhere in the ground, not more than 18 inches from the surface, and I have regretted that I have forgotten where it lies. When the old man was dead and buried, his two sons set to work to dig up every inch of the ground in order to find that buried treasure. They failed to find it, but as they had gone to all the trouble of turning over the soil, they thought they might as well sow a crop, which they did, reaping a good harvest. In the autumn, as soon as they had an opportunity, they dug for the treasure again, but with no better results. And as their fields were turned over more thoroughly than any others in the neighborhood, they reaped better harvests than anyone else. Year after year, their search continued. Only when they had grown much older and wiser did they realize what their father meant. Real treasure comes as a result of the hard work of plowing and sowing the land. You can't do that, folks, if you're looking behind you. God bless you.